right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We are here in the new podcast studio in the Kill House. I um, put together mostly by Mr. Icarito sitting across the table from us. Hello. Hello. I had some subcontracting from uh, DJ Pi, who's also here with us. Yeah, didn't get paid. Uh for the subcontractor work, but we can we can talk about that later. Well, listen, that's, that's Icarito's that's Icarito's no, no, no. vibe. Thirty payment structure. All, all take that time. up with the CFO. Yeah, come on, let's take that offline. Yeah. Basically, uh, Sally moved out, so we just turned his room into the studio very quickly. I may add. I just, yeah, I came back from Christmas break, and uh, it's it's awesome. I love it. We're gonna we're gonna be tearing this place up. It's a reverse shutting the studio down. What should we should we call it? The crow's nest we opens. It's the bro's nest. The bro's nest. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Um, all right, we're going to talk. This is two weeks in a row that we were kind of like, man, what are we, what are we going to talk about with this week's tournament? And then just got thrown the content. The content gods came. They were a little late to the party, but they came and threw us a bone there at the very end uh, with a wild finish. Brendan Steele, I don't know what you call what, what just happened, really, with Ryan Palmer and Brendan Steele on the last hole. And Cam Smith has won the Sony Open before, you, before we get too far without mentioning that, which is I, awesome. I think I know what I'd call <laughs> I, I'd call it a Nick. <laughs> Somebody tweeted and said they had to call the C-suite on the 17th hole. <laughs> it got stalled I, out. It, it, I was having a little bit of PTSD. I felt like I was at Pacific Grove all over again. Yeah, for such a cloudy day to get someone, you know, burn up in the sun like that is very a very rare situation. I feel bad for him. I did. I, I, a lot of times I for don't. For Steel. Yeah, for Brendan Steele. When guys, you know, eject like that, it's fun, but... He he does seem like one of the nicest guys. Great, on great tour. guy. By not all accounts. exciting and not you know I'm not outwardly rooting for him. I'm thrilled that Cam. Uh, I have a feeling he'd be one of the one. guys that like if we heard an interview with him or heard like I don't like almost nothing about him, which is my own fault. Like I could have reached out to him for a podcast and and could have learned a lot more about him. But we pro- would probably all, root for him. That's what all fans should do. If you want to know more about a player, you should reach out. Reach to out. Them well, maybe see if they come. Ne- on a podcast. Maybe you should now. Yeah, I'd like but to. Deej went down a little uh, Wikipedia. Well, that's the only thing I know about him. Like that's what happens. Like well, we make fun of we make is. fun of the broadcast a lot for like leaning on one thing, and I have the same you know kind of uh, just like visceral reaction when you see somebody. It's like oh, I remember like. Four years ago, he played in a pro am with a guy from Lincoln Park. So, and they bonded, and that just kind of colors your whole your whole thinking about a guy, for better or worse. But yeah, I'd love to love to fill in the picture a little bit more on on Brendan. Well, where, where is he from? Idlewild, California. Uh, I was reading. I was reading a little bit about his his interview. His that's uh, wild, man. <laughs> that's that's that Idlewild, is, man. That is wild. Uh, yeah, grew up in L.A. I think, and his dad moved away. We don't have to go down a whole yeah. Brendan Steele biography. But Can we? Uh, I think L- it's topical, though. Yeah, I mean, the guy just yeah, that's very topical. Well, that was kind of the end. Himself I on mean, fire. He, you know, Idlewild's a very small town. He he grew up there, kind of driving like thirty minutes to the golf course. Um, yeah. Very dedicated parents. He was talking about it in his uh, his interview on Saturday. Um, I don't know. But you know, can pretty, we pretty can we agree? Story. We're not. We're very happy that he did not win the tournament by getting an unbelievable free relief on the 18th hole out of hitting after hitting it out of the stadium for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, totally. Wait, what should I mean, the rule not, on that be? Hold on. All three of us were not paying attention <laughs> until he hit that shot and the pro tracer <laughs> came on and it was like, oh, oh no, see ya, dick. Oh no. 
what should the punishment be for that? Like, I don't think we should. Well, like, it, on chaos one hand, theory, he should play it over the grandstand, of course. Like, that of would be course. if we're going to prioritize what I would like to see. And none of what I would like to see makes competitive sense. So let me yeah. preface it with that. I don't actually necessarily think this from a competitive standpoint. But as a viewer, I would have loved to have seen him try to find a gap in the tree over the grandstand and try to get up and down to win. That Wouldn't would be the fear of having to do that make them play some of these? I don't think he's aiming le- – I, I, he wasn't trying to do that. Like, I'm not saying that. But it would make you play differently if, like, the – If it was a hazard. If the bleachers are, like, representing the boundary of the it course. It should be a penalty area. I don't think it's OB. Like, you're, you're arguing for OB. I think it should be the mega unplayable where if you don't – if you can't see the hole and you want to move it, you can go to the – Closest point of like sight this. relief. So it could be yeah. 500 club lengths away, but you're going to get a penalty for it. So it's not just one club length, right? It's not just a regular unplayable. Or you can play the ball as a lot. I like this. If you're backed up against it and you're still yes. within the arena, that's not a penalty. That is like you get free relief yeah. from the grandstands. Hands up. It's a ground rule double. Yes. Yeah. But if you leave the stadium and if, if you want relief between the bleacher and the hole, that should be a one-shot yes, penalty. Yes, absolutely. It should I, be I'm like way a, on board almost like imaginary lines coming back from where you can't see it. Right. So like if you're moving it because you can't see the hole or say you hit it off the top of the tent and it fell down. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. It off the top of the tent. No, it rolls down the back, you know, because that guy gets pinned up to it or whatever. Yeah. But if you're behind it, I'm with you. Like, yeah. Then you're like, you've created your own penalty don't, area. Don't hit it there. Like you put yourself in jail. Yeah. Right. And then, but you will we'll give you a fair point of relief for that. Mm-hmm. Not um, we, the, you know, powers that be will. I'm I'm way on board with that because it just somebody it's tweeted so this scummy. Yeah. It's so scummy. He took it, and then you you were saying to me like, how do we know that his nearest point of relief wasn't behind that tree? It's like directly it, in it, front of the tree with a clear path. Yeah, and it's just so, such a guesstimation. It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess right here. It's like a hundred yards away though. He had a T in the ground like to mark where he's going to drop it, but honestly, like. My instinct for a second was like, oh, my God, they're letting him tee it up. (laughs) (laughs) They're bringing out a mat that he can hit it off. Put it on a tee. Uh, It just doesn't seem it doesn't seem right that he like should that there's no real risk for that shot. Brendan, this is going to be a tough lie. We're going to give you one of those diamond face wedges so you can really put some spin on the ball because you shouldn't be over here. This is not That was one of still my biggest disappointments in life because all I wanted as a kid was a pure face diamond, uh, pure spin diamond (laughs) face scoring wedge. That was the most like infomercial, the difference in how it looked on TV versus how it looked in person. Did you get one? No. <laughs> no, I finally saw one. And it's supposedly like it, it's like sandpaper face. It's not really diamond. So you're face, saying you don't want a square strike? I did not say different. that. Different. Do not, totally, totally do different not games. put words yeah. in my mouth. Do not. But okay. um, shout out to Jack's native, a Jacksonville Beach regular. I would say the He's first, been there once. probably the first. Uh, Participant in the Jack's Beach Thursday game to win on the PJ Tour. I would have to. As, think as so. far as I know. But DJ has a bone to pick with him. I do? Yeah. He's a bold bean guy. He is a bold bean guy. We don't have to get into yeah, that. that. Bold bean, like, it's, a co- it's coffee, coffee shop. It's wars a coffee shop. Jack's Beach. Yeah, the coffee shop wars have kind of escalated in, I in went to Jack's bean Beach. Today. Not, it was not good. Experience. It's the best coffee in town for sure. But it's and the, the worst, Aussies seem to take and the Aussies really that, enjoy they put a lot it, of priority it's, on that. That's on the vibe more on. It's the very sterile. Coffee. It's very like uh, you feel like Patrick Bateman, American Psycho, going in there. It's just all like it's like going into a hospital. It's all like white, very sterile. Anyways, but the coffee's probably the best. So it's it's a tough call. Can you <laughs> can either of the two of you imagine hitting the shot that Ryan Palmer hit into the last hole and not taking a 
Provisional, not playing a provisional. <laughs> I thought you were. I didn't know there was a second half to that. No, sentence. I wouldn't have you picture hitting that been shot. Been a, yes, yes, well, yeah. for sure. It would have been an Irish drop. <laughs> yeah, just, just, <laughs> just anywhere. Just, yeah, just drop it Any, anywhere. Anywhere there. Just it's play cool, a lateral. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. we play a lateral yeah. usually on this hole. Uh, I was thinking about this. Maybe though. he didn't see. Uh, he was kind of tucked over there. Maybe he didn't see it bounce seventy I mean, feet that ball off the park in a hurry. Here's the question: If he was getting ready, if he, I guess, if he would have played a provisional, could he have raked before he did it? That's Ooh, the question that I'm asking. Question. I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why he didn't. Is like, oh yeah, let's rake it, and then oh, let's go back and then play. I <sighs> think you get to like simulate stuff. the lie, right? Or do you drop? I would it? think you'd recreate. Is the it lie. a new? Is it part of the new rules this year that you can drop in a bunker, or has it always been that way? I mean, if you got to replay, you to, yeah. if you go a B, if you hit, have to replay the shot, you have to. There's drop a new it rule about area. dropping from a bunker. You can take it unplayable yeah. from a bunker. Two shot penalty. Okay, you play behind it. Which I, for some reason I thought I don't know why. Maybe you, <laughs> I don't know sometimes I thought you couldn't, you couldn't drop in a hazard, a pen, now a penalty area. But like, because well, yeah, yeah. a bunker would count as a, it, technically it's a. It's not a penalty area. It's, it's not. A, a it's not a penalty area, yeah. but it's a hazard, right? There's no such thing as a hazard anymore. But anymore, yeah. but yeah. before. So that's why I thought you couldn't drop in a in a bunker. Well, if you had to, if you yeah, if you take an unplayable, you would have to still drop in the bunker. Yeah. Okay. Not, the new rule is you don't have. You can drop outside of it for the two shot penalty. We we can take this. Yeah. Off okay. No, um, I think it's topical. <laughs> I mean, we're like talking about talking about the drop. Um, but he they, he this did lead to Brendan Steele getting absolutely iced. Like imagine like. It's for us. It's all sport. Like imagine for him, like trying to win a PGA Tour event. It took like that's what I'm saying. Straight up forty minutes to play the yeah. last hole. Yeah, and like yeah, you like factors outside of your control lead to you having to sit there and wait in the rain. And he's talked about how he didn't like playing in the rain. He's a California boy. I sympathize with this with my moisture issues. <laughs> moisture that I have. issues. Glandular issues. Uh, in the he waited to not being a mutter. Yeah, yeah. and uh, dog. So, yeah, but dog. excited for Cam Smith. That was that was impressive birdie on eighteen and. He could have birdied 10 if he wanted to, I think. Yeah, I think Lagged he was just kind of the laggy boy on, well, on the playoff Brendan hole. Steele did step up on 18 after waiting. They had the shot like the Hit a great drive. He hit an awesome drive. Yeah. That's what it was. I was like, oh, man, he's just going to, you know. But the, That's a tough miss with, the, with an iron in the I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's, that's, like, that's pretty that bad. Would, that was not good. Uh, <laughs> the, the one thing I want to say about Cam Smith that I thought was interesting, I think it was the three of us were talking on uh, – one of the President's Cup preview pods about, you know, seeing some of these people that you they're on the PJ Tour week to week, but you don't really have a reason to root for them necessarily. I think Cam Smith uh, probably made a lot of fans at the President's Cup. And so I think this win probably means a little bit more to people watching. You know, I still don't know how many people are watching. It's 11 o'clock here on the, you know, on the East Coast and you've got the NFL football games and all that stuff. But I, I felt at least a little more connection to Cam Smith just from watching him at the President's Cup, watching him beat JT, watching, you let's know, hearing some of his comments. Like let's that, get him on the pod. He needs that, to get for sure. I, but here, yeah. uh, you know what I mean, though. I, yeah, I think I like he he has more context to his career now, which I think you know people bash the President's Cup a lot for good reason, a lot for bad reason. But I think that is one positive we can take from it is that it, it does provide like some moments like that similar for Sung Jm is on the leaderboard and all of a sudden I'm like oh god I hope that guy wins like he's yeah he's a fucking menace like that would that would be cool to see all of a sudden whereas this time last year like I don't really care I think way. also the way so I think Kepka kind of went through this yeah of like oh like I don't have to do like an impersonation of a PGA tour player like I can be myself oh that actually like made some like wave, you know, that, that made some waves in the in the tour circles. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking. I'm gonna keep doing stuff. I hope Cam Smith 
continues to do that. So because he's going to be, he's like 25th in the world coming into today. Yeah, like he's now going. Yeah. I would assume in the top 20 in the world. Um, I don't know if he's 25th in the world. I think I made that up. As of like, I don't <laughs> I know, nine months ago, or say the last year, he's 54th. <laughs> He seemed Matt Fitzpatrick, this <laughs> also diminutive, smaller guy that is twenty fifth. You're thinking of Ricky Fowler. Okay, yes, that's he's right. been very like intriguing. Cam. Where, yeah, yeah. Where you've seen him what's show that, up on the guy's deal? Yeah, you know, he was wearing the like the you know Guardy Penguin logo. You're like, oh yeah. man, like he's different, you yeah. know. And then, but he seems like he's got some swag. And but one thing I noticed too, watching the past two days, is when he addresses the ball and when he takes his like pre shot like little club back move you're like oh man this is like it looks like it's right there and then he goes gets to the top and you're like and then he just like loses it across the line <laughs> and his wrist does something weird you're like whoa it's like out of nowhere it's, it's like, like yes 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 no 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 yeah, no, yeah. Yes, and yes, then yes. and i'm like no way that ball went straight and it's just like boom 300 right down the middle so i and i and i say that because that makes me want to keep watching i'm yeah. like wow how do he pull that off he's got a unique swing and i think I, there needs to be more of that yeah he, I say he, we didn't get him on the pod. He actually was on the pod back in the uh, when we went to the players in 2017, right. and we didn't even have microphones, and we were doing podcasts, and the tour was kind of helping us bring some rookies in, but we had no idea who was getting ready to walk through the door, and like we were not doing this full time at that point. There was a very good chance that like we would not recognize the person that walked <laughs> in the door. Like we honestly didn't. Like Michael Kim came in, and like thank I think one of the tour officials did you was like, did you win the junior players? <laughs> Oh, very cool, hey, little man. buddy. Yeah, cool. What's what's your deal, man? One of the tour officials was like, "All right, here comes Michael," and we were like, <laughs> <laughs> "That's a shame." He won. He won the fifth major. Not yet. Oh, that's true. No, well, he would go. You you should sense that those things are coming, when right? You, when you're in the aura of a major winner, um, you should have seen that coming. So, all right, before we uh, move, well, 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 was that the blog go? cabin when that was blog cabin? Kept brought a bunch of Michelob Ultras over. Kepka I don't him think over? Kev, I think it was a Michelob Ultra guy that brought uh, him over. I don't think Kepka was like, "What's up, guys?" No, I don't think Kepka brought him over himself. <laughs> well, listen, the, Maybe. The, the farther we get from that, the more it becomes a tall tale. Uh, you guys heard me talk last week about uh, shooting a good round with the new Odyssey Stroke Lab ten putter in the bag. Did you not? Oh, did, did you listen sure to the did, okay. for sure? Uh, for the for all, all intents and purposes, sure. sure. <laughs> It's a bit. Come on, I mean, it's a bit. Listen, you haven't. You won't shut up about for it. the purposes I mean, of I've this. Heard ad read, about it. Definitely, we listened to the pod. I did have twenty six putts with it uh, this weekend. Really? Which I was. Is like, that good? I thought so. Brennan Grace had twenty two putts uh, with an Odyssey Toulon Atlanta, complete with the Stroke Lab technology, the same technology that is in the Stroke Lab ten that I'm using, uh, en route to shooting sixty two to win the South African Open on the European Tour. I don't understand what twenty two putts. I don't. I don't understand that. Like. That's he made like a twenty footer to win on eighteen. I saw that, that highlight today. I don't it, a win on home soil. He said, "I can't remember the last time the putter was that hot." He also had some of our personal favorites in the bag. He had the new Jaws wedges, um, and then on the PGA Tour, while he didn't win, Kisner putted great with his Odyssey number seven, a shape used by Xander last week uh, to nearly take home the win. So hot start for Odyssey putters. Haven't been able to grab the wins on the PGA Tour. Uh, but for more on Grace's Odyssey Toulon Atlanta or Kisner's number seven putter or my new personal favorite, the Stroke Lab <laughs> 10, visit odysseygolf.com. That's odysseygolf.com. I don't think they have. Are any, you listed on there? I don't think so. I'd have to check. I, I don't know. I send over a Click bunch of. Click here to expand and I read more about Chris Solomon. You know what? I'd like to shout out. Uh, Toulon is that they named the putters 70, after it was a 70, cities. But, oh, sorry. Okay. They named the putters after cities like the Atlanta, the, the, Indy. the Las Vegas. Yeah. I'd like to understand. Uh, like why they decide on the city name well, you're for from a specific a, you're from that's what, I'm, that's what I'm wondering. So like what, I, I don't... Well, what are the characteristics? 
You know, um, how would you sum up your home, your I'd home say city? A good amount of sprawl. Okay. Uh, a satellite of the north in the south. Sure. Uh, it's a it's a transplant city. I would say that. What are the, uh, the factors we can it's, inject it's a city, into a me, putter? No, let me say this. It's a city built on transportation. First it was the river, then it was the railroad, then it was the highways, and now it's the airport. Biggest airport in the country. Okay. You can't go through the south again, without I don't, I don't know how Atlanta. we distill this down into you a putter. You asked me to describe my city. As in the I context have, that, of how I you would make know. a putter. I don't know. That's why I want to talk to Big and sprawling, we can use that. We can use that. It's a you know yeah. big putter. Is it though? I like, because I I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. We're off the rails. Can you guys? Ex- <laughs> but could you guys explain Stroke Lab technology? Because I didn't really know it until I tried this putter. Like, you can't. It takes a lot of the shake out of. Yeah, the, you can't like open the face. Of the shaft. Like, you have to like work yeah. to open the face. Yeah. It's actually been pretty sick. Really? Once you, yeah. Once you get like going with it, it's it's been kind of scary. I'm just kind of like pointing at so like, number ten specifically, mark. or that's the one I've liked the most, and it is a putter face, like a putter shape that I would normally hate. Like okay. I, when I picked it up, I'm like, I'm not doing this. I literally but, put it in the bag mm-hmm. to like flirt with one, like it for a second, then hate it, and just, then go back to my old for one, a second. just to refresh, just to see I, how it feels. Exactly, just the tip <laughs> is all I was gonna do with it, and I am in love. I'm playing my first tournament uh, tomorrow. Like well, time, good luck. By the time do you know how many days the tournament is? Did you look at uh, this time? It's two days, and I got a hotel room this time. Oh, huge. To make sure that doesn't happen again. How far is the drive? Did you work that out with the CFO? It's not it, that far. You could probably drive it. Oh, do I get to charge this? I, I personally paid for it. If I can charge oh, okay. it. Never mind. You could do it. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll send Randy <laughs> the bill for that. Um, it's a Fairfield Inn. It's not that expensive. Um, all right. Back to this week. Speaking of good putters, Cam's fun to watch putt. He is very good putter. Third this week, strokes gained putting. It's, that seems like his uh, his calling card. They went to the worm cam a couple extra times today. That is so much more fun to yeah. watch putts from the worm cam than it is. And they did it from a little bit in the Corn Ferry Tour. We're going to talk some of the Corn Ferry, what mm-hmm. they did with that um, this past Sunday. Cam um, got a like not quite the same size break as Brendan Steele uh, dropping from Hades where he hit it, but uh, God, Brendan Steele's putt uh, on eighteen, his birdie putt, like almost went directly over Cam's mark. Yeah. Like he had the exact. There was no fucking way he was going to miss that right. putt. So you know, so, yeah. so it's all about the breaks. They they could do so much better with. And this is all the coverage we're going to do like explaining grain and like how much grain affects like that putt. If you, we saw Brendan Steele's putt go by on the right. And the first thing I looked for was like the burnt edge of the grain. I'm like, okay, the grain takes it that way. So knowing that, like they could have mentioned some of that if they had seen it and knowing that I'm like, Oh, Cam better borrow enough from the left. Cause I don't think there's much slope there. It's all grain taking it right. And as soon as his putt started outside on the left, I'm like, boom, that's cash. So sure uh, enough. Sure enough, the worm um, cam showed you. That's gonna. We're gonna get to even more putting stuff related to that the corn ferry. But can Are we talk? Greens in Atlanta grainy. Where's the grain stop? No, I don't think they are. They but I, I don't know. There's plenty of Bermuda <laughs> in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Are we gonna need to fish big. <laughs> <laughs> Why you gotta put me on the spot? No, like just, Why you gotta I'm light me curious. on fire? Just Berm- I, a lot of people come down to the south and don't play on Bermuda a lot, and it's and tough. Bitch about it. You have to embrace it. On oh the yeah. And now I prefer putting Bermuda over at regular greens. I think it was, uh, this is like my favorite quote of the last couple of years. And I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but Xander was talking one time about, I think he was talking about putting on Poana and basically said like putting, or Poana is an attitude grass. It's like, if you have an attitude that you're going to make putts, you make putts. If you have an attitude that you're going to get boned up, like you're Mm going to miss putts. And I think Bermuda is very similar. At least I felt very similar. See, I'm I'm boned on POA, but I can putt Bermuda now. And I prefer it over like past pal. We were out. Yeah. The kids were out in California finding themselves uh, this past week and just 
I didn't make it. Couldn't make any putts. Couldn't make See, any putts. See, I made a bunch of putts. Well, you have a great attitude. I do. I'm a very positive. You're not individual. a southern boy either. You don't. You're not putting on Bermuda every week. <clears throat> true. Mm. That's true. Mm. So, what's your point there? That like that's helping. Like, po- you can putt uh, okay. Poa probably better Got than it. we could. The putt. The putt because Bermuda it's a, a bigger change for you. I would. Th- I would say so. Yeah. Or it might just stink. Yeah. Or you might not be using the stroke. Well, you were also. No, you were also complaining to me about your putting stroke. Yes, that's true. That could be part of it. You bad know, attitude. You know how yeah, we can fix attitude. that. Yeah, bad attitude. It's an, it's an attitude. Yeah, for sure. Stroke lab technology will take care of that. All right. Um, I can't believe we made it this far without discussing this. And it kind of like it was it hit big this week and then has started to die off by the time we go to record this. Patrick Reed sent Brandon Shambly a cease and desist. <laughs> like, Man, where's he going? How's Hell cease yes. and desist. Hell yes. You want to give us a couple of the couple of the highlights? The uh, this was shared exclusive for Golf Week and Eamon Lynch. Um, the communication that was sent towards Brandel Chambly Communique. was... Communique. was... I don't know what you're saying. The purpose of this letter is to obtain assurance that you will refrain from any further dissemination, publication, or republication of false and defamatory statements concerning Mr. Reed, including any allegations that he cheated at the Hero World Challenge in the Bahamas, wrote Peter Ginsburg, a partner at the New York City law firm of Sullivan and Wor- Worcester? Worcester. Worcester. They make, do they make Worcester sauce? This is, of <laughs> course, the uh, same gentleman who represented Ray Rice, so we know it's... Com- also famously misunderstood maybe, Ray Rice. <laughs> maybe the classic... Also, somebody else who got... Got caught on camera. <laughs> Somebody else, yeah, wishes they could snuff out Th- some these footage. Guys, these guys <laughs> must be experts in it's a bad denying angle. video. It's a bad camera angle. Horrible camera angle. Camera elevator. Also got hit with a horrible camera angle. Um, <laughs> indeed, as you should know and presumably do know but chose to ignore, if the PGA Tour believed that Mr. Reed had intentionally violated any rule, he would have been disqualified from the tournament rather than assessed a two-stroke penalty. Also, we have no evidence that that's true. Anyways, uh, Ginsburg wrote, everyone involved agrees that Mr. Reed acted unintentionally and the tape of the incident fully supports that conclusion. Really? Also quite <laughs> debatable statement. Brandel responded to Golf Week and Mr. Eamon Lynch. Which Brandel, I could just picture, like he's obviously, you know, buddies with Eamon. Uh, not that, you know, Eamon did anything wrong in his reporting, but like they're obviously buddies. I could see Brandel, like I just pictured him like a... Stand up comedian, like just smoking a cigarette in front of like the, in front of like the brick wall with the spotlight on, like just throwing out these yeah. one liners about Patrick Reed and his lawyer. It was like it was the absolute best. Well, this is clearly I would have to know, assume that Brandel knows that he's giving official statements. That's what I'm saying. Amen. Yeah, but it literally reads as I've been on record saying Brandel's like one of the best dinner guests to have in golf. This literally reads like something he would say at a dinner, which was my first reaction was that someone when he is his, his reaction to getting a cease and desist. My first reaction was that someone is so pissed at Patrick Reed that they went back and watched all the nice things I said about him when he won the Masters and was demanding I cease and desist saying nice things. <laughs> As that's one letter number one. <laughs> As I read further and got to the sentence that the tape fully supported him, I wondered how did Patrick Reed find the only lawyer in the world who didn't play golf? Oh, oh am I right, folks? Hey, tip your bartender. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is from Jody Balsam, a professor of sports law at Brooklyn Law School. The attempt by Reed's lawyer to silence public discourse about his client's tournament conduct is outrageous and not legally supportable. <laughs> as someone who does not have a law degree, I would have guessed that as well. As a public figure, and especially as an athlete, Reed assumes the risk of frank and even censorious commentary Ooh, about word. his performance Great and word. admitted rule-breaking. Nothing Brandel Chambly said amounts to a false statement of fact, but falls within his well-established and absolute right to express an opinion. You, you left out the part where Brandel said he felt like he was reading Finnegan's Wake when he was reading the cease and desist, the, the famously uh, discombobulated James Joyce novel, which is a good flex by Brandel, who uh, f- fancies himself quite a, a bibliophile. A literary man. <laughs> the only thing I want to know is how much did Sullivan and Worcester make <laughs> to write that letter? Like, what are, what are the billable hours that this they got? This was sent on All right, what so a we, money What a money grab by those pay guys. you 40 grand, like, you'll definitely get them to stop saying cheating, right? Yeah. For oh, sure. Sure, for yeah. Sure. Oh, there's definitely some legal precedent here. Like, let us just, we'll just draft this up. We'll send it to you. Then we'll do another draft. And all this whole time, the clock's ticking. It's ticking. This was sent on day two of the President's Cup matches. This was sent during the middle of the President's Cup. Oh, so it means it was going back and so, forth like while he was prepping for the President's yes. Cup, you would think. I thought and this happened. How did he do? So it just yeah. came out this week. Yes. Okay. I thought he was, yeah. Uh, I thought he waited. I thought that's why I thought it was even funnier. Like, wow, he waited like a month. I think the Golf it. Channel and Brandel probably waited, like sent this through legal and was like, "Hey, can we make fun of this yet?" Yeah, yeah you're, yeah. you're in for sure. Okay. For sure. Well, so, no, anyways, they, I'm they, talking to this guy. They sent it to Jody then too. They got a second opinion at the Brooklyn Law School. This so. <laughs> The fact that they tried to get to stop using the word cheated in it now is like, oh, let's just say it five more times. Cheated, <laughs> cheated, 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 cheated. Like, they, you know how much worse this makes everything? In what world was this the right move? Well, I think it's just, it, it kind of speaks to the bubble that golfers live in, right? Where it's like, it, would, in the world of golf, like cheating is like, that's against the rules. You cannot say that about a person. Like there's a code of gentlemanly conduct you have to adhere to. You cannot just throw that word around. This is absolutely defamatory. This is horrible. Whereas then you hear like the law professor from Brooklyn's like, yeah, no, no you no, literally no. say anything you want. Nothing matters. Just do whatever. The only defense, <laughs> let me play Which devil. is like, dude, yeah. like that, that's not how the world works. Let me devil's advocate for one second here in that there's two things that are a bit of precedent here. One, Patrick Reed has pushed the Golf Channel around before. When the news was coming out around his cheating scandals in college and stuff, he leaned on them hard and basically was like, I'm not doing ever, anything ever for you guys again. And then they went on the defense of him and, uh, for all the allegations and gave him like an interview with Todd Lewis, and they just basically went to war for him. So there's precedent there in that I've leaned on the Golf Channel before, and they've backed down. Two, Brandel had... I believe used, I don't know if it was the word cavalier that he used with Tiger back in the day, and they took some legal action of some kind of legal threatening Stein he did uh, against Brandel and the Golf Channel, and he rescinded his comments and apologized for them. So the other C word, cavalier, yeah. which was a good new C word, a good synonym. Also. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so there is, that's the only thing I'm thinking of, but I'm like, dude, also like, to call what Tiger did cavalier is very different than what Reed did. You know what I mean? Like there's for sure. There there's some there was some a huge amount of gray area with what happened with Tiger and the Masters and this was in 2013, I believe. There was so much gray area with what happened there. A lot of people thought he should have withdrawn, but that was purely opinionated. This was like no dude, like we we see, like we saw what happened on camera. Like we saw this and that you can't get around it in this way. Him sending a cease and desist, it made the Washington Post, it made CNN, it made Sports <laughs> Illustrated, like it, ma- it went everywhere. Like, it's awesome. W- we were in the process. How do we put out this fire? I don't know. Try throwing some of that gas on <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> 
Oh, it's just unbelievable. And then, and then Sullivan and Worcester. Now they get to be like, okay, well, well, now what, guys? There's only one okay. way to make it go away. Well, now, now, now we have another answer, but it's it's going to be like it's gonna cost forty-five you. to eighty more hours of work. Okay, let's do it. The golf guy one asked, "Do you think that if Reed is heckled constantly and called a cheater at every tournament he plays in the first half of the year?" It will be considered bullying, and the narrative will turn to sympathy for him. Honestly, I think probably. it already has. Yeah, right. I totally agree. Well, maybe get, not fully, but I'd say um, um, it, it started with the uh, loud cheater call at the century at the tournament of champions last. Which he week, was asked about, claimed he didn't hear. Which twenty? I'd say like a minority of people now feel sympathy for him. I'd say every time that happens from here on out, a small piece of like amount of people will start to feel that way. I think it'll just start to wear on people where it'll be like, all right, like I don't want people yelling in the backswing. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I think people just get exhausted with it. And then yeah. they'll naturally. I, don't know. I think people have a grossly inflated sense of how funny they are. And I think something like this will, like, they no, will. No, I don't think the, sh- the shouting will stop. I'm oh, saying okay. the, the minority of people that feel bad for Patrick Reed will, I, I agree with. The golf guy, like mm-hmm. I think that it will flip, me. but not not no, for I Reed. It'll be more like just, just everybody just give it a rest. Kind yeah, of. I, I think, think he's I making think more of the broadcast. He's making fun of like the broadcasters. Like how long before they oh, turn this okay. into like, oh man, this, what, this he's is dealt horrible. with so well, much adversity I this think, week, and here is your Quicken Loans winner. Patrick well, that's already Reed. that's already starting. <laughs> I know. But Azinger like, was already doing that. But like, they what a tough couple months it's been for him. I, I feel like Azinger was the one that was kind of like. I felt like he kind of stuck to his guns a little bit. I, honestly, like I love Dan Hicks. Or maybe but I Dan thought it was Hicks. mostly yeah. Dan Hicks. Yeah. That was, you know, long week and what, what he's dealt right. with. I, and I thought, I thought Zinger's kind of stuck to his guns a little bit. I could be wrong on that. He put as much. He was as inflammatory as you can be. Basically saying like he better get this stuff right. Yeah. Basically, which is a fair fair comment. But um, do you, but do you think that like public perception will will shift if people keep no. Just because it'll be no, disruptive touched. to the golf tournament. People will be like, all right, let's give it a rest now. <laughs> no. no. Has no. mashed potatoes stopped over the last 15 but people, years? No, but the majority of people have gotten sick of it. But they still do it. People so, still do it. Yeah, here's but, where I net out on this. It's like, like that look, guy who yelled Icarito at uh, Riviera last year. <laughs> it's the people's champion. <laughs> well, how long has the Kuchar tipping thing lasted? It's literally been a year, like to the date almost. And that's not gone away. And Kuchar had... Possibly more fun than ever. No marks, <laughs> like l- almost literally no marks against him going into that. And that has lasted and it will probably last forever. Reed has all the marks against him. And now this, and people like don't feel any sympathy for him. I don't think this is going away. I got to I got to take Ooh. the only way to make it go away would be to do something worse. <laughs> like off the course, like, <laughs> like yeah. send a cease and desist. <laughs> yeah. No, he should try to control freedom of speech. He should do something. I, I don't know what it, what it would be, but he should do something, uh, Something that doesn't have to do with like integrity of the game and cheating and all that stuff, but like is objectively like more shock and awe. He should do Honestly, that. Honestly, he to should steer probably get into like like drunk driving incident. No, you know what? It's gonna <laughs> people would then be like, oh, then it could be like, I think oh, there's better options. Than no, 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 because then he happen. could go to rehab, and then people love but a comeback story. Yeah, but he can't. He can't if he's gonna do, do like, it. Oh, he can't oh, put anybody's life. At, no, no, it turns out he's all messed up. I'm picturing like the Randy Moss like mooning thing. Like he should do something like that. No, no, here's what's going to happen. That's like, wow, what an asshole. Justine's going to put he's a... He's not a cheater anymore, but he's an asshole. Justine's going to put a brunette wig on and f- rob a store, and Reed's going to come in and save the <laughs> cashier, and it's going to be, be on video. Yeah. There's going to be three cameras in there. No bad angles. No. <laughs> no no bad camera angles. Yeah. No blind spots. I think... No, I think it's the rehab. If you look at all the celebrities, like... 
Like, look at Bieber, right? He goes, you know, he goes off the deep end. Everybody hates the guy. And then he, you know, goes to rehab, finds God, and he's, you know, oh, everybody loves a comeback, man. Yeah, Bieber's putting out hits. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, what if so? So then Reed comes Reed might back. Have, like the best hands in the game. Yeah, he though, comes also. back from rehab. He's a really good golfer, That's and he great. wins another major. And then everyone's like, oh, man, look, he slayed his demons. Like, yeah, he cheated, but that was all because of like the substances. I'm telling you, that's how the celebrities do it. <laughs> well, if he had a good lawyer, that's what it. they would recommend. I think that's what Sullivan and Worcester are talking <laughs> yeah. about. Well, there's a free, free. This is not not uh, considered legal advice. <laughs> Please do not take this as official very, legal advice. Very hypothetical. Yeah. Um, all right. Can we talk a little bit more about some other news that hit the airwaves? I believe on Saturday afternoon, evening, uh, the AT and T Byron Nelson is. It has been announced. I don't know who had it first. Apologies, but it is Dallas uh, Morning News. I Dallas believe. Morning News has the AT&T. Actually, you know who I, I saw wrote something? Tim Kalishaw. I saw he wrote. Who I'm always like, oh, it's the around the horn guy. I saw it covered two different ways. It was like, here's why it's going to Trinity Force and why it's a good thing. Right. And then also like, it's moving away this, from Trinity Force. Here's why. This was always a huge disaster. Yeah. <laughs> this was never going to work. This will be, 2020 will be the last year that the AT&T is played at Trinity Forest. I'm not sure where it's moving to. I don't think... There's anything beyond speculation. There's a lot of speculation about the Frisco thing, which I think is just people confused about the PGA of America and the PGA Tour. Being which two I had to like things. ask you guys, which is like, confusing. Which is confusing for, yeah, for sure for the casual fan. It is, but like people, I don't know. I was like, is there something I don't know? Like, is there another course I in could, Frisco? I could see making that mistake if you like literally never cover golf and only cover Dallas. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. A lot of people in their replies <laughs> like Frisco, here we come. I'm like. You guys do know the difference between the PGA Tour and PGA America, right? Maybe they know something we don't. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know if it's going back to Las Colinas. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of factors at play. I think all of us here can probably understand why it's moving and also also go through some of those reasons. Well, for for those that don't know. But at the same time, we can also agree like this kind of sucks for some hardcore golf fans. For sure. Like us, like. Neil, you're more casual fan than us. You can tend to if you want 100%. to disagree with any of this, please butt in and, and and feel free to. I don't know if you're bummed that it's moving. I'm bummed that it's moving. The factors working against it are this is the the best I can the, describe it from people that are you know from Dallas and are close to the situation. Is this tournament's in South Dallas? Most of the potential audience for the events is is north of the city, right near closer to where TPC Las Colinas is. Again, huge factor for PGA Tour events as these kind of things. A lot uh, they, they've had trouble with the fundraising, the charitable fundraising for this event because of the location. They've had trouble with the parking. They've also been dealt like a pretty shitty hand the last couple of years. They setup was very questionable in year one. The PGA Tour made it rain. PGA Tour made it rain, <laughs> much last like they year. did at Sony this yeah. year. <laughs> Uh, they, they had like a, <laughs> they did over the, over water the golf course one year, but they one did. year it was just really bad weather. It was last year was just like cold and unseasonably yeah. cold and not windy. It's supposed to like the, the whole idea behind this golf course is supposed to be wide. It's supposed to be firm and it's the wind is supposed to blow and there's a ton of elements for players to deal with. This was like really exciting for people that want to see a different form of golf on a week to, than what we see on a PGA tour on a week to week basis. The art, like so, there's a big before we go ahead. Move past that. There's a big downstream effect on the charitable fundraising stuff because a lot of that stuff I think gets thrown out willy nilly and just kind of. It, it, I've said this a bunch, but like it can kind of wash over you. Like you hear PJ Tour and charity in the same sentence, and you just kind of like check out. And that's fair. I get why people would do that, but also when you do dig into these things a little bit, like it's it 
<laughs> we don't talk about it enough. Like it is crazy how much money is raised by the PJ Tour and and PJ Tour events for charity. And when you start to look at like the actual organizations that are affected by these tournaments, like it, I mean, it's it's life changing if they don't hit their numbers, right? Yeah, I think so, at Sony, it was twenty five million over the last ten years since Sony's been a sponsor, which is probably a lot longer. But like two charities in Hawaii. Yeah, like they, it's not. just talked about yeah. it. And so I think that, like, to, to put it in perspective, and I hope I don't mess up these numbers. I'm sure I will. But I was reading something that they used to raise kind of on average like $6 million. Is that the number you saw at Las Colinas before it moved? They're down $3 million, and right? they're da- Yeah, and it was down half. So down to $3 million. And to put that in context, I think Schwab and the Colonial team raised like $14 million this year. Or something like that. So that's a tournament that's 30 miles away and thriving, thriving. Yeah. And so I was reading some stuff and, and it was very sympathetic to these charities. So they did a good job of kind of selling me on this idea. But I think it's the Momentous Institute is the the chief beneficiary. And so imagine if like you have been used to getting $6 million every year and all of a sudden your budget goes down to $3 million. Totally. And it's like, I know you can get cynical about the tax exempt status and like, Blah blah blah. It's an entertainment product, and all that stuff is very true. But when you really get down to brass tacks, it's like, well, what's more important, like raising three million more dollars for totally. this like low income education system, or like with an angles? <laughs> it's like hundred percent. All right, I completely get why why you got to move it. That it sucks, and I don't want it to happen. And I really enjoyed Trinity Forest, um, but I get it. And from a, like a tournament logistics standpoint, it's like you're probably hearing from people that go like, man, I wish this was closer to home. Yeah. Like where I, well, so that closer, the, the regulars closer to, you know, people that have gone for years and years are like, oh, well now I'm not going to go. And, and there's, there's a lot better so, viewing at other courses like that. Again, this is the whole thing nets out to me. It's just like, it just is a bummer. Like, because yeah. it's a lot of things that don't affect the viewer at home are the factors here. Again, all understandable. Like yeah. as much as we rail on the tour for, you know, the oversaturation of all the marketing and it is a business. Like the, it comes down to dollars and cents and the way these things work in that the tour is a collection of really small companies in quotes, really. Like each Non-profit individual companies. event is like a company. So it's not like the tour isn't coming up with a whole big I'm saying like you can't be like okay this is the week we're going to experiment that we're going to do something different this week because it's like no like AT and T like sponsors this event and you know the salesmanship club is in charge with all the fundraising like that is their year like that is what is going on for them you can't just be like hey take one for the team here and like <laughs> right just because the, we're the tour and we want to do something different like you you guys have to you know pay the price for it that's not fair to the people involved directly in that so that is why a lot of events look similar and end up being similar because. People want to have views of what's happening. It's a formula, Very too. fair. It is. So that's all understandable, but it's also understandable that we as golf fans consider and say that kind of sucks. Like, the tournament didn't really have much of a chance. Either they were afraid the first year, and just all everything we can say, we're gonna, we can make 15 different points of this, it's all going to net back to it's an entertainment product, and the players have so much control now, and there's so many big events, and there's so much money. They have so much power to just say, no, I'm not going to play that. Yeah. And like, yes, it is cool and fun and weird and quirky and challenging and different for the players to play it. But it's also super easy for players to say, okay, well, I'm not going to play that. And they haven't been playing it. So it goes away. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. I think another thing, we, we've talked about this with, uh, this is not going to be a broadcast take, don't worry. We've talked about this with the broadcast, though, where it's like, man, we can make a lot of noise and we can talk about, you know, 
this, that, and the other thing, but the, it's really only going to affect anything when, you know, it starts to hit someone's pocketbook. Mm -hmm. And for us, like we're still granted a very vocal minority, but we're still totally in the minority of how we enjoy golf tournaments, what we like to see, all of those things. And, and I think we would contend that like, given the chance to, you know, convince people or have people hear our side of the argument, like a lot more people would agree with us eventually, but we're not at that point yet. <laughs> and so I, the reason I bring that up is with regards to fans. And so I've never actually been to the Byron Nelson, but I've talked to a million people who have been there and it's the identity that it has is almost like, um, almost like the players or almost like colonial actually on Saturday where it's like the Friday of the Byron Nelson is the day of just like complete like party, right? Like mm -hmm. you go out, you drink a million beers, you go hang out in like North Dallas right afterwards. You're like kind of downtown, like with that kind of vibe and moving it, you know, away kind of like we've been to Trinity Forest. It's awesome. It's in the middle of like nowhere. It's a landfill. It's a landfill in it's the middle of nowhere. It's not anything like, pretty. Like the, like it's hard as much as we are nerds about golf courses, it's a really cool golf course. Like everything outside the golf course, it's not pretty. Like the trees aren't pretty. There's no skyline views. There's no houses. Like it is just a weird setting. And so to the, the larger point I'm trying to make is like the vast, vast majority of fans are not going to take the time to listen to this podcast or other podcasts and really educate themselves on like what makes the course different. It's just going to be, man, I know what it used to be and I know what it is now and it's not the same thing. So let's go do something else. And you saw that in the attendance, you saw it in the fundraising, you saw it in all these things. And that sucks because it, does. it became kind of like, I, I thought like a really cool new identity for this tournament from the outsider perspective. Uh, and that's obviously going to go away. So I don't really know how you, I don't, I don't know where it kind of like goes from here and, and how they'll kind of revamp stuff, but I guess we'll see. So where I net out on this also is for me, I'm a casual NFL viewer. Okay. But I will little. I was like the chiefs and the Texans were playing today and I was following the score. I was running some errands and I saw it was on CBS and I was like, Oh God, Romo is covering it today. Like I got to get home and watch that. Cause every time I listen to Romo talk about football, he gives you something to look out for when they're audibling at the line of scrimmage. He is saying he, the two safeties are, are leaning up here. They're probably going play action here or watch Edelman's going to come in motion here. And like he tells you, something to watch out for. And my eyes go from my phone to the screen and I'm like anticipating something and something like that in golf would suit Trinity Forest so well. And that he needs to ride the left side here because it is not possible to get to this pin from this blah, blah, blah. So I know what I'm looking for. And the way it's been presented on TV is T shot. Oh, yep. He's fine right there. And then it's just like, well, of course he's fine. It's an 80 <laughs> yard wide fairway. And what also has contributed to it, though, is it just has not had the bite in the green, so the angles haven't mattered, and it's all it all kind of works in one motion. And that I think we said this after the pod after the Trinity event last year it was like that that wasn't great viewing, like it it just wasn't it hasn't worked for them yet. It sucks, and I can understand coming to this decision if the criteria is like okay, it's got to be dry leading up to it. We need the wind to blow. Also, we need more top players to show up than have been showing up and blah, blah, blah. And it needs to be presented well. And somehow the fans need to be able to see it really well. It doesn't set up very well for fan viewing and it needs to be hot, but like not too hot that the fans like right. if, if you need all those factors to go right, then the tournament shouldn't be there. And I can understand I can come to terms with that. Yeah. But it just didn't feel like it got a really a fair shot. And I'm still bummed because it just is like more of 
golf moving moving towards this big business thing that I think we all know it's heading towards. Yeah, We're already there. And really. I, th- I think that uh, it's a couple more things. I, I don't want it to. I don't, we're kind of making the same point over and over, but like, I, I hope it doesn't get painted as like, well, the players bitched and then they, they moved it because I don't think it's that simple. I think that was part of it, but I don't think that that would be fair to like a lot of, that was going to be my question to you two. Do you think that, so it seems like the main issue is the fundraising stuff and the fact that it's just not convenient for, you know, the people that have gone to this tournament for Mm -hmm. years and years that, you know, basically donate the money. Do you think that in the future, if there was a, course in another city or another tournament was looking for a new venue can they separate the fact that will they think outside the box about the architecture of a course and go there or will they bucket it in with like oh no we tried that at trinity force it didn't work out i don't know that do you know what i'm saying that's what question that's like what i'm like does this ruin it does this ruin it for a a you know interesting course no that's not part of the formula you know what i'm saying i definitely know what you're saying and i agree i think it does i think it's like now there is a case point and study of a failure of going like yeah th- it's an interesting course it's wide it's supposed to play yeah. firm but like, okay well they tried that at trinity and it didn't work yeah, like it's that's a very not, good the, argument you, yeah but it's almost like the more you dig into it it's like it, it didn't work more because of the course's location not because of yeah the, but i don't think people go to that ne- next level. i don't know exactly it, it, a lot they'll just bucket it together like no nah, we don't want to do right. that yeah, yeah a lot well, just has to go right that's what i was going to say that, that was going to be the other point i was going to make was like i think if you were going to do it it almost needs to be it needs to be like a 20 year project, right? Because you need like, a you, lot almost, of data. you almost need to like win. You, you need to like take some early losses, right? Like I, this is all me spending somebody else's money, which right. is going to be the ultimate <laughs> point I'm going to get to here. But you need to take like early losses and have some way to like subsidize all the charity that you're losing out on so that everybody kind of like stays happy. And then you'd have to basically like win over the telecast and like have everybody else talking about how awesome this place is, hoping that that would like drive more attendance, and like how long would that take, right? And so it's, uh, I, I again like that to me from a completely like for lack of a better term like purist golf fan perspective, feels like the way you should do things in the long term. But like I also am not writing the checks, so like yeah. I I can't at all blame somebody for being like, yeah, we're not going to make this a 20 year thing. We're just going to follow the, the blueprint. Yeah. And like, we'll have beer tents over here and we'll have parking here and like everybody be happy. This Except is for gonna, the fans. This is going <laughs> to sound watching it on TV, but this is going to sound like a big, except for the sh- diehard fans, the diehard at the fans. tour. I'm not meaning this to be as big of a shot at the tour as probably going to sound like, but like, like also a big factor in this is like counting on the tour to get it right with the setup. And I don't trust them to. So in that regard, I'm like, okay, it's fine to move it away from here. Like, I don't think you guys are going to execute it the way that it could and should be done. So, like, let's not try. I, I, I get it. Which so. is why, uh, on the flip side, I, I'm, I'm in a weirdly uh, praising mood tonight. But you also need to kind of give some some golf claps to the uh, USGA for, like, trying this at places like Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills and, you know, places like that that were, like, completely much more outside the box places that were like, you know, no, this is not super convenient. This is not a great viewing perspective, but like we think that the golf product mm-hmm. is going to be that much better. So we're going to try it. And of course they got dicked up on some weather stuff as well, but I don't know. It, it's, it's at least worth recognizing that they're giving it a shot because I think for someone like that, like the Byron Nelson people aren't going to come out there because it's the Byron Nelson, right? Like they'll come out there, which clearly, like that's what yeah. we're, we're learning from this. Mm-hmm. They'll come out there because it's like a great party and their friends are going to be there and they've gone for 20 years. They will come to the U.S. Open, right? Like no yeah. matter where it is. Yeah. And so I think that's 
one, you know, to your point, Neil, like is, does this just like doom every remote interesting golf course in the world? Like I don't think so, but also the USGA hasn't had a great, you know, well, maybe a great the track PGA record tour of going, does, going to those but like Ryder either. cup and almost like more of the like Ryder cups, another, a whole other animal. Cause that's like even more important on yeah. fan experience and hotels and like, true. Well, I just, but they seem to go to like new places. Well, I just don't yeah. want this to end up being the death of like what I hate this, I hate this labeling at all, but like of woke <laughs> golf. Go on. Of like, yeah, oh, it, woke golf wants this. So blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is the death of with an angles. It's like, all right, if you, if you go up to a random person and ask them if they like with an angles, they, I wouldn't, I'm not going to guess they're, pro, they're going to enthusiastically say, oh yeah, like, oh, I love that. Uh, but I also think that if you went up and asked them, like, hey, did you like watch, did you enjoy watching Royal Melbourne? I think they'd be like, oh, God, yeah, that yeah. was awesome. That's the whole point, right? It's that like was the, incredible. The because, point of trying to make people connect those two dots. Yes. And like, it's like it, it, the whole thing gets labeled as this weird, you know, again, the woke with an angles thing, but it's really just, it's just about strategy. Yeah. All it is is about strategy. And like watching guys have to do to battle different strategic elements is, you know, and listen, Trinity Force is not real Melbourne. I'm not making that comparison, but there's like elements of the same kind of philosophy. It's also not TBC Lost Kalinas. It's not, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I mean, again, like whatever they shot 26 under last year, like that wasn't that exciting like because it just didn't play that way. I don't know. Can I can I make it really really off topic? Of take? course. <laughs> Every time I hear Lost Kalinas, I think of Office Space in Lawrence, his neighbor. He's like, "Yeah, I'm doing the drywall <laughs> up there for the new McDonald's in Lost Kalinas." <laughs> Like every time I hear it, it's the first thing that I'm sorry. I had to. I was just. I couldn't say that, man. I died. It was bottled up inside of me for two hours. Every time it's like Mondays. Yeah, Las Colinas. One thing I do. Shit, no. Irony I wanted to point out here was Golf Week did a survey of tour players on who they would want to design a course for them. The winner of that survey was Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw. How about that? Yeah, two years in. Yeah, we're gone. Yeah, we tried. Um, How about a, a as good a time as any to to uh, give a in memoriam to Pete Dye, the absolute master of doing things that players absolutely hate. So mm-hmm. hopefully that spirit doesn't doesn't go out with him. I always struggle with like putting into words somebody significant in golf's career, like into a tweet. Like golf Twitter loves to do take it be very self serious <laughs> so on make this. it about themselves. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, but the, I wanted to say this, and the or point I'll make Pete about Dye, Dye, when I played TPC Sawgrass, right. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, one thing I want to say about die is like I feel everyone, myself included, probably I'm just really in talking to like Bill Corr about it. Really hit home to me of like die's legacy is not just about the golf courses he built. It's he literally like changed golf course design forever. And then he he taught those guys so much. Like oh, look at his the people them, who worked for him exactly. Yeah, he taught them so much of what to do and also what not to do. I, I mean that in kind of a weird way of like. The way Core does things is not the way Die did things, but he learned so much positive from him that he could make his own like twist on yeah. a Die philosophy and make it more enjoyable for casual like amateur golfers to play. So it's really his impact on golf is immeasurable. I mean, yeah. it's not like it, you don't have to go play like, Pete Die golf courses I, to to know that. I, I would almost say uh, I hope I'm not over over my architectural skis here, but I I think that his impact was. It was felt so, um, I forget the words you just said, but like most influential, I almost think like positively and negatively. Like the, the people who 
who didn't get what he was trying to do, I think is where a lot of negative trends came from. Like a lot of people see mm, Pete Dye yes. golf courses. You know what I'm trying to say? I, I know. Yes. Greg people, Norman. People see. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Norman was just waxing poetic about him on, uh, the corn fairy broadcast. But that's kind of what I mean is like, he I did think, all the bad, like the, all the hardest elements of Pete Dye without like the nuance to them okay. is what Norman yeah. does. And that's why I think people look at, like TPC Sawgrass or Kiowa or, or any of these places, and they're like, oh gosh, it's so good, it's so hard. Look yeah. at how hard it is, it's yeah. so cool. And it's like, well, yeah, but if you're playing the right tees, look at how much space he gave you. Yeah. And yeah. if you if you're a 25 handicap, like look at you can hit it right here. And so he was kind of like this, you know, it's what you're saying. Like he was so good at giving you space, but also like giving you, uh, tempting you to not use it. Mm-hmm. And so it's. It's weird. He, he's almost like a very, I, I, I don't know, misunderstood is kind of a grandiose Well, I, word, I struggle to break 90 on Pete Dye courses. Well, who, he's whose like fault my, you think that is? No, no, no. But I don't, mean, I don't mean that as like, no. I don't like Pete Dye. Yeah. I res- like, like, respect that's the, whole point. the hell out of the guy. You're the excitable boy. You I'm, see? Yeah. Like, oh, come on, I can hit that shot. No, the, well, I think my biggest issue with <laughs> no, him is... Die was d- Die is, is out to, to fuck you up. I know. Like, I know. I'm, yeah, looking exactly. at, I'm looking at your image right now. He's like, oh, this guy? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm the mark. I'm the guy that sits down at the poker table. Like, give me all your money. Hey, Pete, check out how far I can hit it. No, oh, it's cool, man. It's more like, no, no, it's, it's this more one's like... This one's 327. The vibe I get on a for it. Come on. It's not so much you have to hit the ball far. It's... One, if you try to overpower it, yes, you're going to get punched in the face. You're going to have a does. bad time. But two, you stand on the tee and it's like, listen, there's no doubt, 150%, you have to hit a draw here. Or you yeah. have to hit a face. Like, you just have to. And it's like, dude, I can't <laughs> do that. Like, you know, it's like, I, it's like he's dictating this shot. And then it's like, you know, I can't do it or I don't execute it. And it's like, he just, he really penalizes Fuck it. I think you know? people would have a. Uh, I think people would have a much greater appreciation for him if they, you know, how many people are there really that play Pete Dye golf courses like as their everyday right. golf yeah. course? You know what I mean? And like, think about how much more you would learn about a golf course if you played it that's 30, 40, 50 yep. times a year rather than like, yeah. oh yeah, I played that place once and I shot 180. Like that place sucks because I tried to play the way I always yeah. play, which mm-hmm. is like overpower the place or whatever. It's almost like a victim of. Let uh, me ask you guys: this, What's success. your favorite course? Has got too popular. What's your favorite Pete Dye course that I've played? Yeah. Probably Sawgrass, I think. Sawgrass. Same. Pete Dye Golf Club in West Virginia is really cool, too. Yeah. Cricket there's Stick's a, cool, too. There's a place in Hilton Head, Long Cove, that like I can't break 90 yet, but like I've played it now three times. And every time it's like I get back there, I'm like, man, this is, this is like, it's a big puzzle. It's awesome. You, you know? Want a, you want a really meta answer? Yeah. My favorite Pete Dye course? Trinity Forest. Whoa. <laughs> Oh, because oh. he's the godfather. I see what you did there. <laughs> um, all right, we got a couple things we got to cover here. And then we also, at the end of this uh, podcast, we're going to play an interview we had with uh, Lee Rainwater, the USGA's Assistant Director of Handicapping and uh, Education and Outreach. We covered the uh, hand, the new handicap change. Pretty, We were pretty skeptical of it, I would say. Uh, after, uh, well, we'll get to this at the end. But we got that to get to at the end. I want to talk about the Corn Ferry, what happened uh, oh, this please. past Sunday. Again, these first two events of the year, the Exuma, the two Bahamas events are going to run Sunday through Wednesday. Which is sweet. It's awesome. Uh, we saw some of this last year. It didn't garner a ton of attention, but we officially have our template for what mic'd up coverage will look like when they eventually do this on the PJ Tour, which they have to. I mean, absolutely have to. We do encourage, tune in on Monday. I, I don't know if they're going to have it past Monday. I don't, but I know on Monday. I think usually, got, yeah, yeah. I think usually they've got them kind of locked in for the first two rounds. And right. Saturday, Sunday, they're kind of at, 
the mercy of if one of the guys in the last few groups says yeah. yes, they'll yeah. they'll do it. The guys were mic'd up, and it's not again, it's not the most remarkable commentary you'll ever hear, but it's just way, way, way more engaging. I could list off like five different things that were said during the round today that I watched on the Corn Ferry Tour, and I can't tell you anything that happened at the Sony because the, like the announcers talking. I don't hear it. Like it just goes in one ear and out the other for the most part. And the Corn Ferry guys, it was really interesting for like Andy Pope to stand over a 157 yard shot and be like, it's got to be, it's got to be a five, right? I was like, oh, or what damn. they were saying about the wind when they were putting. Yes. They were all missing putts. And they're like, man, you know, the, the, just talking about how the wind's changing, the like caddy it's gave, gusting at different yeah. times. And the caddy gave Braden Thornberry a read. It's like, if there's no wind, I think it's over this mark. So play as much wind as you want from over that mark. And like it, get, like it just immediately, I'm like, whoa, okay, that's cool. And I'm following like this, you know, them talking about a read and then having a worm cam view of it. I'm like, okay, let's see if this starts on the left edge. And yep. it does, it goes in like that. That's what I was going to say is it makes you, it makes you so much more invested in the result of a shot. Yes. In that, like when you hear him say, okay, we need to start it on that tree and we need to finish it on that spectator yeah. stand or whatever, yeah. finish it on that guy in the red shirt. All of a sudden, you're like, "All right, well, let's see. Like, let's is see it, if he is, can do is it. Is it going to land by the guy in the red right. shirt or not?" And whereas on Sony, like you said, it's like, "Okay, cool, it's in the fairway. Yeah, oh, it's on the green." And it takes a ton of pressure off the broadcast guys yes. because well, then like, all they have to do is respond and yes. be like, "Oh, well, you know, it it makes sense that he was instead of because you hear so much with the announcers on the PGA where." They're guessing. They're like, "Oh, he might not be happy. He he she shouldn't be happy." Which is with all that. they it's can, like. Well, I don't know. Why which is all they can do. In fairness, it's like all they can do. Exactly, and that's why I'm almost saying, like, from a production standpoint, like, take the pre- like you like make the make them better players, make yeah. them better announcers. And it's it's again, it's not going to be like amazing stories between the guys. The chatter between the players is never really that interesting. But it's kind of funny to be like like. Braden Thornberry made bogey on that one par three that was by the water, and he's like, "Oh, it's great bogey!" And like, <laughs> yeah. like they were just thrilled. Like, it's just so cool to be. It just makes you way more present, and it's an entire extra layer. I love that they're trying it. We need a sponsor. I think it's going to take a sponsor on the PGA Tour to be like, "We want this." That's what I said ours. to Deej. It's like I don't understand how two things. One, it's another thing to sponsor, so there's mo- there's money in it for the tour, sure, easily. And two, the excuse I've heard is. Well, the players, the players don't want it, or like we, you know, they they never go for it. Well, why don't you offer to pay some of them? Like, you don't say, even need to pay. Like, but you could. I mean, could, I, yeah. just say like nobody wants to do it. Well, how? What if you? What if you throw you a grand. couple here? Yeah. Go no? find here's a, ten grand. A bunch of guys that want their sponsors to have some more airtime. Sure, they got logos on their hat. They got them on their chest. Like. No comp like if if it was one of our guys that we sponsor, here's like, a free idea. I'd be yeah. like, hey, dude, hey, how do you get in that? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Our logo is going to be on the screen the whole time. Yeah. Like, we'll pay an extra five thousand bucks for that. Not not us, literally, just for the record. <laughs> but like a different sponsor might be like, yeah, we'll pay five thousand bucks if you're on TV for this whole day and you're talking and being personable and people yeah. get to know you. Like, oh, that is not a hard sell. Play and, and, and if the commentary's bad, just don't use it. Right? Like, it would. I was saying to DJ earlier. I feel like it would really enhance the this a moment ago stuff. Yeah. Tenfold because it'd be like they could go back to a you know player conversation that was actually good and show that and be like, hey, we saw this a moment ago. Yeah. And then now they can all take a break and just feed off of what those guys are saying. Braden Thornberry had a 134-yard shot into the 10th hole. He told his caddy, I think it's a flighted 155 shot, so 7-iron, which I don't think he hits a 7-iron 155. But it was the, that layer of – 
it's going to be a 155 shot, but it's not like my nine iron. It's like, no, a low 155 shot with a seven iron. And he hit it. He stuffed it. It was sick. It was awesome. Like, we can't talk about any of that from the Sony because we don't know any of that. And right. so, well, the huge shout The other thing I was invested in thinking about why I was struggling with Sony to stay engaged and why the Corn Fairy stuff this afternoon was, was fun to watch, uh, which is kind of a backtrack on what I said last night, is they followed the same group of three for like two or three straight holes. And I, then, I, then I was able to like watch the round build, mm-hmm. right? So and this, I don't think they can do that on a Saturday, but, right? Where I was saying to you last night, like, yeah. God, why, are, why don't they just show as many golf shots as possible? But then it's like, well, then there's no context for anything. But this is what PGA Tour Live should be. That was my okay. big takeaway. I, I totally agree. That was my takeaway. It was like, if you're going to follow a group, like, yeah, feature I, group. I know they do a good job with the mics on the players, but it's not the same. The exasperation after a shot, like, even if it's just a deep breath, I yeah. know that sounds ridiculous to say out loud, but like, I just was surprised to hear that from one of the guys today. He, he like had a forty foot putt. He left it short. He just, <sighs> just kind of like whoa. Yeah, like that brought me right there. Yeah. I know it doesn't. That's not significant, but that is cool. And I think that would be really engaging. And also, fans. like, what an easy, what an easy like <laughs> marketing thing for PJ Tour Live. Like, think oh, about God, yeah. Think about someone like debating whether to sign up for PJ Tour Live yeah. or not. Like, what's the one cent? Like, describe sell me on PJ Tour Live. Like, what is it? It's a, you follow a group in the it's morning It's for golf round. sickos. It's, yeah. it's a, it's if like, oh, you okay. can't, if you are not getting enough golf, well, yeah, here. Right. Well, like, I'm good. But if you said, like, what's PJ Tour Live? Oh, it's sweet. Like, they mic up the players. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, yeah. cool. I should check that out. Exactly. Like, what an easy one sentence. It's your entire sales pitch. Yes. And, like, even watching the replay of the Skins game in Japan, just, like, the little, and it's kind of forced banter between the guys. They know they're mic'd up. It's But I was kind of like, oh, like, they're kind of, you know, jabbing at each other a little bit like that is more interesting than listening to yeah. announcers talk when they always feel like they have to fill the air and they talk so much less when that goes on. So, uh, at Bahamas KF tour asked which NLU staffer plays best in 20 to 30 mile an hour sustained wins asking for a friend. <laughs> so I think they're asking if they want to, if we want to sponsor exemption in, in the event next year. So. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, Icarito for sure, for sure. If it's downwind, if, yeah. <laughs> if it's downwind, for sure, a hundred percent. Got, I have all my distances dialed into the wind. I don't know. It's a hard one. I, I hit the ball. I hit the ball down. too high. Yeah, I think we we can agree on that. All right. Um, <laughs> if they want to give us a spot, I'd love to go. Do we have a? Uh, <laughs> do we have any takes on the Charlie Woods situation? The video that surfaced of Tiger Woods, you know, caddying for his son and his golf swing, and people got mad about it. I'm, I'm firmly. Firmly on the fence. Like I, I don't, I don't really care. Well, I went. I told DJ earlier. I went through like an evolution of like, who's that kid? Oh, oh, that's Tiger standing behind him. Oh, that's Tiger's kid. It was like a three step thing. With, yeah. You know. So I probably watched the video like four or five times before I like figured that out. Yeah. Swing is awesome. So what's the context for people who are not on Twitter? So the, there's a, a video of Charlie Woods, ten years old. You know, at a junior tournament that Tiger's caddying for him, and it's a video of his golf swing and. It was posted and went everywhere of like how amazing his swing was, and then it started people. It was really good. It's good swing. It's good swing. (laughs) It's really good. Uh, (laughs) uh, People started getting upset about kind of a discreetly filmed video from a long ways away that like clearly they didn't have like permission to do, and like is it creepy to film like a ten year old swing and put it out on the internet? And it's just a yeah. I don't necessarily agree. Yeah, yeah. It is. I'm not like mad about it, but I'm also not like. Yeah, you're wrong for thinking this is weird. Because like we've at least heard stories of Tiger like being asked for formal permission from like television networks of like, hey, can we like film your kids like during the broadcast day? And the answer being like, absolutely not. 
So like, I don't think Tiger is like a big fan of this happening. I would not imagine. But also, like, he's got to think if he's showing up at an event, unless they're taking everyone's cell phone away, that this is probably going to happen. I think it's just hard. Like, like, would I prefer that you know this ten year old is not like filmed without his permission and then widely disseminated on the internet? For sure. Like, oh, of course. Let me be clear. <laughs> but like, asking people, like, it's just yeah, it's not real life to be like. Everybody, okay, we're all on the same page. Everybody's signed into this contract now. We're gonna let Tiger's kid grow up like with total privacy. Like that's, I don't know. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a, a reach. I mean, do you fault do you fault the major golf publications for disseminating it? Like I don't breaking down the swing. It yeah. was a little. A I know. Little, I think that's, that's too, a little. I probably creepy, think that's too probably. much. That should be but, probably be a a line where you stop. Yeah. But like you know, you of course some guy that is there with his ten year old that stinks and he's sitting up there you know, on the deck and he's bored and he doesn't want to be there. He's like, oh shit, that's Tiger Woods. Well, that's what I was going to say. Even just like, like watching. Did, should he do that? No, but like he's gonna, like people yeah. are gonna do that. That's right? that's where, I, whatever. I know he, it's a He was slip- outside the ropes. He was living under par. Exactly. <laughs> Total permission. Uh, I know it's a slippery slope to, you know, allow these things, but like I, the way I viewed it was like, oh, that's fun. Like he does have a good swing. I didn't yeah, watch it. That no, was, like, no. yes. You know what? We need to get this guy an exemption. He needs to. Can he break? Is he going to break Jack's record? Is he going to shatter Jack's record? Like, I don't think anybody's really doing that. And no. it, get, it turns into kind of like a false. That was. It, the, it turns into a bit of a straw man on like. Well, well everybody's putting too much I pressure that, on this guy. That's where the, and, the but it's a line is. It's like when the, when too, the clickbait so headlines come out from yeah actual publications are like the, the next tiger the, the, the next like look look who's the next tiger tiger's kid that's when it's like oh man like. I roll, but like the initial video, I was like, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that's that fun. that was my reaction yeah. as well. Like, oh, yeah. that's Tiger. Oh, that's Tiger's kid. Honestly, you know my oh, cool. My biggest. He's ten. I didn't even realize he was that old. My biggest takeaway was like, oh, Tiger's out there caddying for his yeah. kid in a junior <laughs> tournament. Yeah, that's yeah. sick. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Like what? It just this, these things expose the aggregators the most, though. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, like every all of you posted the video, like. And no one had anything funny to say or interesting <laughs> to say about. Like you all just did it. You all mined it for your own content and. I think we're doing the same exact thing right now, so I feel dirty, so let's move move on. on. Yeah. The only thing I will say about it, this is not even that related, but it just reminded me of, there was a tweet that went around when this happened, but uh, there's like a headline of LeBron James Jr. won't wear LeBron's number anymore because he wants to make a name for himself. And the tweet that was going around is, now checking into the game, LeBron James Jr. And the other guy's like, oh shit, who dat? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like these guys aren't going to be given a chance to. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm getting at. It's like it's just, yeah. it's it's a it's a very it's, unrealistic yeah. expectation to yeah. just expect everyone to hey every, everyone just like be cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well that's probably not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So let's just try to manage it. Okay, we're going to have a new uh, segment of the podcast throughout the course of this year. We're going to debut it here today. Uh, BMW is of course a global partner of the Ryder Cup. And uh, they, of course, are a global partner of ours as well. So we are going to be doing different set. We're going to be mixing it up every time that we do this segment. It's going to be, you know, might be a history. It might be a funny story. It might be an interview clip or something. We're going to actually debut it by teasing this Tuesday night's episode uh, that we recorded with Lanny Watkins down in Dallas uh, back in December. North Dallas. He told <laughs> he told a lot of great Ryder Cup stories, um, and we're going to be doing some special Ryder Cup podcasts this year. Anyways, I just want to A ton play of Ryder Cup stuff. A ton Let's of, linger on that for a yes. second, because like I'm not more excited about like maybe anything this year than like 
some of the Ryder Cup stuff we got going on. I've been trying to tell you guys it's I know. the only tournament that matters. I, I know. It's, Everybody seems I'm to be coming around. It's, it's a complete content bonanza yes. around the Ryder I, Cup. I'm excited, though, I'm to, thrilled. to witness it firsthand. Yeah. But anyways, of course, a shout-out to our partner, BMW. Um, they, they wanted to get creative with how we did this segment, and I think it's going to be a fun thing to keep doing all year long. Uh, but here's a quick story from Lanny Watkins from the 1985 Ryder Cup about Seve. What's your favorite go-to Ryder Cup story? Your favorite memory, favorite go-to story? May have already told it on here, but... Well, I mean, I've always, you know, because he was such an integral part of it, it's probably always Seve. You had to get back in his face. You could not let him intimidate you. I was going to say, did you ever have any personal run-ins? Yeah. First hole, 1985, I think, I'm playing with Marco Mira in the morning the second day at the Belfry. Uh, playing the, sec- the second day at the Belfry in the morning, Marco Mary and I playing Seve, and I think Manuel Panero going down the first hole, best ball. We get on the green, and I've got about a 20, 25-footer for birdie. Seve's about 12 feet. His coin's in my line. I had him move it. I pulled my putt. It hit his coin. It bounced right. went in the hole. He was livid. You had me, you had me do that on purpose. You had me move my coin so you could make that putt. I said, yes. I got right in his face. I said, yes, Evie, I'm that blanking good. Don't forget it. <laughs> first hole. This is O'Meara's first Ryder Cup match ever. He gets as white as a sheet standing on the first green line. What's going on? I said, love it. Let's go kick. The-. We had him six down and six to play. Oh, my God. That's amazing. But I'm- we uh, first hole. How about that? How great is Evie? Did you guys how great with is uh, Lanny at Las Colinas? No, it was Preston Trail actually. Yeah. But, Excuse um, me, you would not have been allowed there. <laughs> um, all right, so we touched Excuse on that. Me, sir, Next can we, topic. Can we help you? <laughs> Do you guys have any more that you want to get out about the handicap system before we play our interview with Lee Rainwater? No, I'd love uh, to. I'm going to guess he's probably much more. Yeah, yeah I'd love to hear his I rebuttal. I I aired out my confusion on the last. What was pod. set it up for people? Uh, yeah, as so you're about to get dunked on we, by Lee. What was? We, what were your, also, also that is awesome not name. what happened. Rainwater. That's Rainwater is yeah, a great name. Right, it's a great name. name it's, it, we you know we we were hard. We cited the Golf Digest article that was basically shredding into uh, the new handicap system. We did disclaim before we said that, like, oh, yeah, this is written by the guy that came up with the old system that got... Well, his, his nickname was the Pope of Slope. Yeah. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is worth... Maybe self which, <laughs> which is worth calling out. Doesn't sound like a nickname somebody else gives you. <laughs> uh, I wish someone would call me the Pope of Slope. That's sweet. Sounds like a like, really good skier. Uh, <laughs> so we thought it might be, in the interest of being fair and balanced, might be interesting to have somebody on from the USJ just to ask him a few questions about some challenges we have to the system. Uh, I, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but I will say after playing with it for a week, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's going to be a shock to the system for some people for how much variability there is between the tee boxes. But like, if you think about it, like it usually makes sense. And the numbers we cited in that one, the, the numbers that that Dean Knuth guy cites are the extreme of extreme Please, the, for variances. The Pope of Slope. Refer to Pontifex. In the proper title, the Pope of Slope. They were the extreme examples. But really, it's fun to kind of mess around with the new app. And see what your the courses you would play and what your variability between the tee boxes were. A lot of like older people, I think, are not liking the new ones because you know the, if you're playing forward tees, you're just which is weird because they usually love new stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it is going to be different, but I'm I'm I've, having messed around with it. One, the fact that it changes overnight now is is huge. Like it, your handicap should not stay the same for two straight weeks. It's a much more active reflection of how you're playing and. Uh, I'm, I'm coming around on it. I think there's still some question marks on how it's rolled out and everything, but 
Um, do you guys have any questions? Well, yeah, question for you. So, do you. Did he say anything about... Uh, we're going to find out? Yeah, but <laughs> changing it if it's not working. Like, I'm sure there's no. really good things about it, and there's probably some things that aren't so good, like everything. Like, would they make some tweaks to it in the next month or two? If, like, there's something that was like, ah, we didn't... You know, we messed that out. We messed that up. It, I, I did not ask about that, but I do not get that sense at all. I mean, I think it's a calculated approach to changing it, whether you agree with that approach or not. I think it's not, this is not a comment period. This is like, no, no this is the new Which is interesting now. because then, you know, the UK and Ireland are like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to wait and see. Which <laughs> like, he had some comments on that too. It's not necessarily, it's really just the par adjustment within it. And that's, we're getting kind of technical here, but the in reality, their system already has like, had a course rating effect and that's what the new chain is. I know we're getting complicated there, but basically it's not really as wait and see as like that article made it sound. Again, this is PR from USGA, of course, but I think the questions were fair and balanced and I think you will find this interview. I keep uh, scrolling through Netflix, seeing the show, the, the two popes that could be <laughs> the way you're setting up Lee. Maybe that's what the I, new Pope of slope. That's I, I Mr. Rainwater. Well, there's the new Pope, which is the HBO thing. And now there's the two popes. Well, yeah, totally okay. separate. It's, well, yeah, so we're not seeing movie. white smoke from the chimney. I don't know. USGA. Maybe there could be two popes. Is what I'm saying. Okay, or maybe that's what that show's about. I'm not sure. I got to check well, in. Without any further delay, here is that interview. Thank you, everyone, for <laughs> yeah, tuning in. Okay, now shut up. You shut the fuck up. We're gonna yeah. move on. <laughs> it's time to go to bed. So, without further delay, this is uh, Lee Rainwater from the USGA, the Assistant Director of Handicapping Education and Outreach. Cheers and cheers. Crack on. All right, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, i got a couple questions for you about the handicap system uh, based on our discussion from last week. But first one I have, why did the handicap system need to change and why did it change now? Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, certainly, you know, the USGA handicap system, you know, it's been around since 1911. So it was uh, 108 when we, when we retired it just, uh, just last week. Uh, and, and, and certainly, uh, you know, no major flaws in the USGA handicap system by any means. It was, it was more, uh, it was more of an effort to look at the landscape around the world uh, where we have six different uh, handicap authorities or six, six different handicap systems in use uh, representing about 80 countries, 15 million golfers. And so it was really an effort between the USGA and the RNA and and really the global golfing community, many other national associations were involved to try to take these six systems that had the same objective. You know, we're all trying to measure ability of a golfer and provide equity for, for play, but we all were kind of doing it in different ways, and they didn't really translate well from one another. So it was kind of a, a fragmented market, if you will. So it was really just an effort to come together with everybody, create one measure for a golfer's ability, and really modernize the way we think about handicapping. And I, the only thing I would add is just is just that you know with the, with the USGA and the RNA uh, governing the game with with the playing rules and equipment rules and amateur status, it really just made sense for handicapping to to kind of fit in and and complete that uh, be, or be the last piece of that puzzle, if you will. So on that note, it you know I think for those of us out here that we're uh, waiting for this to come out and understanding where you're coming from there on getting everybody for a unified system. Was it surprising to you guys that the governing bodies of the UK and Ireland are, are taking a wait-and-see approach with certain elements of the calculation? And uh, did you guys – was that a – yeah, was that a surprise to you guys, and how do you see that playing out? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, Great Britain and Ireland, you know, have been a part, you know, the development of this system really really since day one. It's really not a wait-and-see thing. You know, one of the important, important things about, 
about the WHS, and I kind of alluded to it already, is you know you have all these you have these different handicap systems out there, and each each country and each handicap system they're experiencing a different level of change with this. You know, in the USGA and in the US clubs and golfers, we are kind of lucky in a way that uh, there's a lot of things that are that are staying the same and many things that are that are that are minor tweaks from what we're all very accustomed to. In other parts of the world, that's just simply not the case. So, so part the really the real reason behind Great Britain and Ireland waiting to deploy until later of the year, you know, I think it really boils down to the fact that it is a bigger change for them. There's technology I- I- implementation uh, things that they have to work through, and 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 course rating is a huge part of it. Um, you know, England, for example, tons of golf courses in England, and you know they still have. Uh, you know, twenty to thirty percent of courses to rate uh, under the under the course rating system, which falls under that that World Handicap System umbrella, so that golfers can really effectively use the system. So it's it's not really a wait and see. It's more about making sure they're just ready to fully deploy the new system. Okay, so. On that note, you kind of the introduction of par is one of the elements that we were uh, challenging a bit in the last episode and a bit a bit confused by where it all net, I guess, why was par introduced into the equation when coming up with a calculation of course handicaps? And from what I can gather, this element is bringing a lot more variability into determining a player's course handicap. Uh, do you consider this a good thing, and and why is that? Why is this change being made? Absolutely, um, I do consider it a, a, a good thing. But I'll I'll be transparent and say that uh, this is this is the biggest change for golfers in the U.S. That this course handicap calculation change. But I do fully believe that this is good uh, for handicapping. I think it's good for golf. Going back to your question, as, as far as why. It really is an effort. While there undoubtedly will be that initial kind of eye-opening shock factor when you see the volatility, the potential volatility in the number, the effort really is to make a course handicap more intuitive. I'll explain that. Um, you know, you know. First off, you know, and before I get into that intuitive part, you know, there's par-based adjustments built into the system with net double bogey based on par, net par when you don't play a hole. Uh, so, so par kind of comes into play there, but really getting into the intuitive aspect of it is before 2020 course handicap represented the number of strokes to play to the course rating. And, and quite honestly, I think that that was confusing for a lot of golfers out there. You know, a lot of times if you look, if you see your course handicap from the back, middle, forward set of tees, like a lot of times that number really didn't budge that much. And that's because it was just relative to the course rating. And obviously, the course rating changes from T to T. So we felt like if we bake in par to the calculation and we change the benchmark from course rating to par, that this is something that's just that's just going to resonate a bit better with golfers because par is a number that we're all familiar with. I mean, we all know what it means. That really was a big reason behind it. And just to be clear, I mean, this it is changing the benchmark, but it doesn't change expected scoring or anything like that. It doesn't change the, the strokes exchanged between people when they're out having a round together. But you made a point about the volatility, and that really depends on the difference in course rating and par, you know, on a specific set of tees. You know, if the course rating is 71.8 and the par is 72, no sweat. Uh, and I think you mentioned on your podcast the other day, I mean, if you have these kind of edge case scenarios where course rating is 64, and par 71 or 72, you're going to see a big shift. But again, 
we're still maintaining the appropriate strokes between golfers. But one point that I really wanted to make without rambling on too much, the biggest reason for this is that the uh, Section 3-5 of the USGA Handicap System, which was a section that addressed when players compete from different tees or from different ratings, and that was hands down the most common question to the USGA hands down the most common question to um, allied golf associations around the country, and I would imagine to, to club pros and handicap committees around the country. It's just it's something that I think people understood the principle of it, but we saw that it just wasn't being uh, applied very consistently across the board. You know, Basically, you know, if, if you and I go out and play in a match or a game, and if you're playing the back tee and I'm playing the middle tee, we had to make an adjustment for the difference in rating to make sure that I didn't have an advantage because I was playing a shorter, easier course. So this new adjustment, it basically, it bakes all that into the course handicap calculation where no additional adjustments are needed unless there's a difference in par, which is much less frequent than a difference in course rating, which is pretty much going to be every time if you're playing different tees. So that, again, it was more about getting over the hurdle of Section 3-5 and trying to make it more intuitive and easier for, for golfers and for, and for golf clubs to use. And that's where I think uh, maybe even ourselves included, the idea of par in the equation isn't the the big element of the change. It's really the introduction of course rating in, into the into the calculation. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, it's not just par. It's you make a great point. It's course rating minus par again to try to change change that benchmark. Yes, and so my challenge. Well, two things related to that. One would be if if you know we've been playing golf for so long with course rate without course rating ever really factoring into the equation in uh, a, a course handicap for the day. If this, It does seem like a glaring omission in the calculation, I agree, but why did it take this long to change if it is going to introduce this much change into it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, you know, we've certainly, uh, Section 3-5 is, is something that was, uh, you know, around uh, for quite some time, ever since the introduction of slope. And it was always a big effort on, on the you know on the USGA's part when it's just the USGA uh, system uh, to make sure that there were uh, you know proper education materials and proper messaging about this to help to help tournament committees and golf clubs and golfers. But you know throughout all that effort, it, it I think we we realized that it was a was a stumbling block. But going back to why it took so long, I think you know one thing is that this World Handicap System, while it just launched. This week, it really was an eight-year development, and this was something that was kind of always on the table. And so, I, I really think that the timing was right. You know, not only for the USGA, but as the as all of the you know the um, national associations and the golf authorities came together, we felt like you know this is something uh, that makes sense to do now. We have an opportunity to fix something or improve something that wasn't. Uh, working quite well, at least at least for one one system specifically, and that that would be the USGA system. Yep, that makes sense. My I guess overall too, again the uh, the change that we're going to see happen, and I, I can already kind of sense it happening with some of the guys I've played with though, is it does seem a bit counterintuitive to the play it forward campaign or tee it forward campaign, and that it's it's uh, there's going to be more variability between tee boxes, and I think it's while it it might be well applied mathematically it's a hard hurdle for a lot of golfers 
to say, I'm going to give up three shots, maybe potentially. So the course we play a lot at, but the difference between the back tees and the next, the one up tees is over three shots in the course rating. So for me I, to tee, to tee it up from the blue tees, which is one up, I'd, I got to basically give up three shots. That's a big hurdle for a lot of people to overcome. Do you foresee it being an issue that this is going to want to maybe encourage players to tee it back further than they probably should? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And I, and I would just, I would just say that, you know, the, the whole crux of the handicap system is really to allow we want people to feel comfortable playing from any tee and feel confident that their handicap index, which is not specific to, you know, any course or any tee, that's going to allow them to have to have a fair game. I do think that that change in the number, especially for those folks that, hey, if you're you play the same course in Jacksonville with the same people from the same tee and that that initial change in, in the number um, in, in January or, or March or April, whenever you get a chance to play, I do think that there's going to be you know some surprise in that. But I think that that goes back to, you know, help from the golf club, from the, you know, in, in your case, the Florida State Golf Association, and the USGA, to make sure that there's, you know, education materials out there to explain, you know, this is this is the new calculation um, this is, this is why, and it's actually easy. It's actually easier on you. There's more, there's more taking place or baked into the calculation. That's really just allow you to go out, play golf, have fun, post your score, and just kind of let the, let the system do the rest. So there really shouldn't be, um, there really shouldn't be the perception. And though, and I realize those are hard to, hard to control. There really shouldn't be a perception that, Hey, if I, if I could play this tier or that tier, I'm really going to have an advantage. Really, if your handicap index is accurate, you're you're gonna have a fair shake before you put a tee in the ground, um, regardless. And then at that point, it's all a matter of how well you play in relation to your handicap. Well, how do a couple more here, and we'll let you go. But why do uh, how do the daily calculations work, and how much can a handicap change on a day to day basis, and who is who is managing that? A couple questions there. I mean, the the daily daily revision. Just to be clear, you know, it, it is called a daily revision, but it only updates when a golfer actually post a score so if you know if you if you don't play again for a couple of weeks and your handicap won't update you know until you know mid mid late january we do feel like this is a uh, 2020 now this is a this is a modern this is a responsive feature of the system so and, and we've gotten good feedback uh on it so far as far as how much it could change from day to day you know probably with one round you're not going to see just a you know a big a big shift from one round to the next. You know, the new calculation is, is your best eight scores out of your most recent 20 uh, in comparison to the previous system, which was your best 10 out of your 20. But one thing that's important to note is the eight of the 20 is, a, is an out-of-the-box calculation. The 10 of the 20 actually included a 96% multiplier, which, you know, served its purpose, but it was also kind of hard to explain uh, eight of 20 is look, it's just, it's an eight of 20 average. And that's, and that's your number. So going back to your question about, you know, who manages that, I mean, it's all, you know, being managed through in the U S through centralized computation. And for the first time ever, every golfer in the, in the U S that has a handicap index, uh, their number is going to be calculated through the same platform. So there's consistency and there's integrity there. So I think the management part of it, um, you know, will be easy. You know, undoubtedly, there's still responsibility. You know, at the Allied Golf Association level, at the club level, to make sure that you know uh, we're still expecting golfers to have integrity, and when they play an acceptable format, that they post their score. Going back to 
going back to the calculation a little bit, I think where you were getting with this, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just as far as like the end, you know, how, how what's the impact of this going to, is, is it, uh, is it going to be? And, and for the most part, you know, I talked about the eight of 20 and, and in comparison to the 10 of 20 with the 96%, those two things in comparison, they, they tend to kind of balance each other out. So the expectation is minimal change in a golfer's handicap. And we're not talking about full strokes. We're talking about des- you know, tenths of a stroke, uh, one tenth, two tenths. Mine changed by two tenths of a stroke. Um, and, and as far as, you know, but there's not there's not a um, there's not a you know fixed answer for how much someone's handicap is going to change. It kind of depends on. No, I think just to start at butting here, Lee. I just meant um, in in the on a day to day basis under the new system, can we expect a lot of great fluctuation and variability? I, I think I kind of understand that the answer is probably going to be very similar to when it updated every two weeks. But I was just wondering if you could ease the listeners' uh, concern maybe about things fluctuating too much on a day to day basis. No, they there there will not be a lot of fluctuation on a day to day basis. Again, with it being an average based system, you know, a lot of time, you know, twelve out of those twenty scores will not will not factor into your calculation. And even if you do play around that that makes its way to that top eight, you're you're not going to see you're not going to be a big see a big shift in your handicap on on a day to day basis. Okay, quickly, if we can cover the uh, inter- the introduction of the net double bogeys, I think. The main concern uh, I have with that is if players are expected to track which holes they're getting strokes on to know uh, if that they can't take more than a net double bogey on that hole. I know a lot of rounds are played where you you do know what holes you're getting strokes on, but if you're playing a round of golf that's not a match and you're not getting strokes, is that all addressed with the expectation that players are going to be entering scores on a hole-by-hole basis and the system is going to calculate that for you? Or... Are golfers expected? Uh, I imagine it is when they're when they're entering eighteen hole scores. They're going to have to have calculated on a hole by hole basis whether or not they're taking anything over a net double bogey. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, that's 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 pretty accurate. I I think you know a couple things. You know, you hit the nail on the head. We can't stress enough the importance of using hole by hole because the system will be able to kind of take care of that adjustment for you. But um, some golfers aren't comfortable with that just yet. You know, some golfers like to post by nine some golfers like to post total 18 and in that case they will be responsible for determining based on their course handicap you know which uh which holes they get a stroke on and how that may impact net double bogey should should they struggle on the hole but i but what i think is important is that you know we've we've had equitable stroke in place for many years and and really the philo- the philosophy is the same here it's just to pre- prevent you know, a couple of bad holes in a round from overly inflating a golfer's handicap index. And that, that responsibility that we're talking about as far as knowing, you know, where those strokes fall and, 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 um, and, and keeping record of that for posting scores, whether you're, you know, if you decide to just post your 18-hole score, your 9-hole score as opposed to hole by hole. So that responsibility um, is, is certainly nothing new. It's really just the, the procedure itself is what's different with, with net double bogey. And, and it is important to note that this is a net double bogey is not new, but it is new for the U.S. Uh, around the world, net double bogey is very common. It's very well accepted, but it's something that the U.S. adopted as a part coming on board with the World Handicap System. Okay, great. I got two last final questions, then we'll let you go. Regarding the rollout of the system, was there anything you guys learned in the process, maybe the rollout of the new rules that you guys factored into the rollout of this, and how would you assess how the uh, this adjustment period has gone? 
using uh, the the rollout of the, the new rules last year was a big advantage for for the WHS to see how all that rolled out just just twelve months ago. You know, one of the one of the big things for us is you have to kind of balance because obviously, go, you know, golf has a certainly very busy times of the year and and determining kind of how to you know roll out information and when but i think the big thing for us is for a golfer level to make sure the golfers understand what those top five changes are understanding that in the u.s you know we're very fortunate that you know a lot of the system was based on what we're used to the course rating system's not changing a lot of fundamentally a lot of things are the same but we wanted to kind of double down on the things that are different. We've already hit on most of them, so I won't I won't go through them again with the calculation, net double bogey, et cetera. But I, I think one thing that we that we learned and was very important is is you know education with allied golf associations around around the US. You know, we spent really uh, started in 18 but really heavily in 2019 certifying all 59 AGAs in the US to be able to provide education to their clubs and golfers you know through workshops and providing materials to them was extremely important I would also note stakeholder engagement was extremely important something that rules modernization uh, project they did a really nice job with uh, but you know a good example of that would be the PGA of America you know we've developed a good partnership with the PGA of America um, you know, we, we uh, gave a short presentation at their annual meeting earlier this year. We gave a webinar to their section uh, leadership. We've developed a toolkit with them uh, with education and awareness materials that, that's on PGA.org. And uh, we're excited to be at the PGA show next month as well uh, in Orlando, where we'll have a booth for the USGA. And I think we've got five education sessions scheduled uh, for PGA members uh, during that week. So those are things that we picked up from, I think, from rules rollout that have, that have benefited WHS, but certainly there's still uh, still work to do. Is Even though we've launched, there's still implementation uh, work and education work to make sure this is as uh, smooth as possible for, for everyone in the U.S. Great. And lastly, we've talked a lot about a lot of details all within this. If you're explaining the new system to a somewhat casual golfer, uh, who's probably not listened to this far into the podcast, but uh, if you're trying to explain to somebody as simply as you can, what is the way that you would explain the new system? Absolutely. You know, I, one thing that I would just say is that the whole thing about handicapping is to add enjoyment to the game, it, you know, allowing golfers of different abilities to play on a fair basis. I would just say it's, you know, it's easy to get a handicap. You only have to play 54 holes or, or three 18-hole rounds. There's a higher maximum handicap now so that we're trying to be welcoming and, and, and accessible. But I think the, the important part is on top of it being easy to get one through an Allied Golf Association or through your local golf course is really and truly get out and play. There are complexities in the system. We don't want to hide that. But the complexities of the system are taken care of in the background. So really, if a golfer gets a handicap, goes out, knows the fundamentals, plays, has fun, posts their score, let the system take care of the rest, and, and hopefully it does add to their enjoyment of, of the game of golf. Awesome. All right, well, we'll wrap it at that. Thanks, Lee, so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing how it all plays out. I'm not, I'm not thrilled with it because my handicap went down a bit, but I think a lot of people are seeing that uh, across the board. All right, well, look, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. You bet. Thanks, Lee. All right, thanks. Bye. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. 
Better than most. 